Hello, my little murder moppets. <laughs> <laughs> That's new. <laughs> I'll do something new every week. Welcome to Killers and Coffee, part of the Unity Podcast Network. Like and follow us on Twitter at UnityPodNet, on Facebook at Unity Network 41, on Instagram at Unity Podcast. While you're at it, make sure to visit our website, www.unitypodcastnetwork.com. I am Jessica. I am Devin. And we're cousins who love murder, but it's not weird. Not weird at all. So, I will, so, okay, well, this week's episode is not, like, super super gruesome but I will disclaim it anyway because there's rape murder strangulation if you don't like it goodbye you are the weakest link (laughs) uh and we got mouths like sailors sometimes (laughs) um yeah so I we're a little late recording. It's 100% my fault because I'm officially moved again. And yeah, I hate moving. I saw my mom. I was like, I'm never leaving. I'm never moving ever again. Yeah, soon enough I'll be in that situation. Ugh. It's awful. But anywho, gotta, gotta do what you gotta do. So if my mom sells the house, it comes with a tenant. <laughs> wow. <laughs> All right. So let's get into it with the coffee. The coffee. Did you did you get, see my snap of my coffee? I did. I found the Grinch. Yeah, Sugar I did see those. <laughs> I did see those when you sent me that um that TikTok. Of the girl like unloading seven Grinch creamers. That's actually when I started going on the International Delight website. And that's like when I found that stuff because I was like, what the hell does the Grinch taste like? Yeah. I mean, I've never never had it, so I was just curious. Like last year they had Elf, like that was Mm -hmm. like the sugar cookie. Yeah. So the Grinch, they have the. sugar cookie and the peppermint mocha which I love but I only drink in hot chocolate yeah because peppermint hot chocolate is delicious it is I don't like chocolate and coffee like yeah. flavored in coffee I like white mocha but not chocolatey mocha yeah <laughs> I like to melt like if I have hot chocolate I'll like put a candy cane and let it Mm-hmm. melt in there. Just like stir it with a candy cane. Yeah. yeah that's so you so have yeah, my regular coffee, hot coffee mm-hmm. with some sugar cookie creamer and a not fancy Dunkin' mug. Hmm. Fun fact for everybody that really needs to know this about me I like to drink my hot coffee with a straw. I always have a straw in my hot coffees. I hate that. 
<laughs> I don't if it's like from Dunkin or Starbucks or something and has a lid I don't mm-hmm. do it like I don't then don't put a straw in the lid yeah but just if it's like in a mug at home I'll put a straw in it yeah I hate that no offense <laughs> <laughs> I can just drink it faster that way yeah. like working at a diner and people who drink coffee ask me for a straw I'm like how old are you 10 <laughs> no offense it also helps my teeth. I have really sensitive teeth. Okay. So All right. Not, you sometimes the hot bothers it and the cold. So I just a long time ago just like started doing it and I just never stopped. Alright, you get a pass. It's like a, to see it's weird to me, so Chelsea, if you're listening, sorry, but like she'll put our my sister, Jess's other cousin, Chelsea, she drinks her coffee like she, you know, puts cream, sugar, whatever in it and stirs it with a spoon and then keeps the spoon in the cup <laughs> and drinks it with the spoon in the cup. Like in the way. <laughs> in the way. <laughs> I'm like, Why do you just take it out? <laughs> well, I did see that if you leave a spoon in your hot coffee, it cools the coffee down. Oh, see, but I, I don't, as much as I love iced coffee any time of year, cold coffee if i'm if nice coffee i mean i mean well yes it is i don't <laughs> like it when my hot coffee goes cold then i don't mm-hmm. want to drink it yeah i want piping hot coffee that i can just burn my throat with with a straw <laughs> quickly <laughs> we're a friggin couple yeah of jobs I mean, that's, that's normal right yeah i want my <laughs> coffee to my throat canal <laughs> or i won't drink it oh boy so it's funny that you mention mocha because I have a Dunkin' K-Cup I feel like this is sort of blasphemous but I have a Dunkin' K-Cup and Starbucks white chocolate mocha creamer okay (laughs) I will say it is rather strange interesting combination I love white or Starbucks white chocolate mocha iced is my favorite thing. Mm-hmm. Well, tied with cinnamon a cinnamon dolce iced yeah. latte. Yeah. But the creamer to me that you can like buy in the store mm-hmm. tastes so much different. Yeah. Than what you get at Starbucks. Yeah. If you get a white chocolate mocha at Starbucks, it does not taste. It's like not taste white like chocolate the creamer. creamer. Yeah. No, I don't like their creamer at all. I like, see, I like their creamer. Like, I like the white chocolate mocha. And I like the, um, was it caramel hazelnut? Yeah. I like that one. I mean, those are really the only two. I don't like their pumpkin spice creamer. No. Too spicy. I don't like, I don't like pumpkin spice. Anything. I know. I know. Yeah. I'm not. I love everything that has to do with fall and pumpkin-y basic bitch things. But artificial pumpkin spice is not for me if i want pumpkin spice something i will make myself pumpkin bread or pumpkin pie yeah like that real spice flavor maybe i'll make some homemade pumpkin spice creamer with like real pumpkin Hmm. interesting i wonder if that would or like syrup you know not creamer i wonder if that would taste good i'll have to try that yeah experiments Maybe my dad has a uh, recipe somewhere. But it's not alcohol, so maybe not. <laughs> it could be. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, well, are you ready to get into it, or you want to talk about coffee some more? As much as I could talk about coffee. 
Right. I'm we've been, ready. We've been pretty, um, pretty lengthy with our coffee talk. Yeah. It's, and it's gonna, it, I feel like it's gonna get worse because I just love cold weather coffee. Mm-hmm. I mean, regardless of the weather, I will have a nice coffee, so. I would, too. <laughs> but for me, just some hot coffee. Your hands are freezing. Yeah. For me, I really like cone. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that like, my favorite been, video. <laughs> that has been literally living rent-free in my head for yeah. the last week. Yeah, same. It's been <laughs> horrible. My sister, she, like, came home one day, and I was just sitting on the couch, and she was just like, I really like cone. I'm like, what are you talking about? Because I hadn't <laughs> seen it yet. Renee doesn't know it either, and me and Chelsea were like, um... Can you please watch TikTok? <laughs> yeah, and there's literally been like so many like variations now. Yeah. You like, can barely memes. find the original one. Now. I know. Well, remains. you have to you have to go on um, recess therapy mm-hmm. on uh, Instagram. But yeah, that's also living rent free in my mind. <laughs> now it's gonna be stuck in my head again. <laughs> yeah, I, sh- I just saw a. I think it was a TikTok. I sent it to my sister. It was Gritty pulling like a a bottle that was hand with a handwritten label. It looked like lemonade, but it said corn juice. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> like, who makes these things? I know. Like it was Gritty. Like someone from the NHL Flyers. Like so funny. Yeah. Anywho. <laughs> Killers and corn juice, oh, the podcast. Oh, okay. <laughs> Got the juice. <laughs> A big Let's... lump with knobs. <laughs> the song. People did not come here to listen to us sing about corn. <laughs> yeah. If you want to listen to this little boy sing about corn, because it's hilarious. Okay. All right. Let's get to the killers portion of our episode. Today we are talking about the Boston Strangler. Uh, the Boston Strangler was responsible for the deaths of 13 women in Boston between June 1962 and January 1964. So, like, a year and a half. <laughs> Is that, yeah, year and a half. He was known for murder and strangulation. He was said to be America's version of Jack the Ripper. The women who were murdered were between the ages of 19 and 85. So there's, like, zero demographic there. Although there's speculation that Albert DeSalvo wasn't the only one responsible for all 13 murders, he is known to be the Boston Strangler. He confessed to be the Boston Strangler. But that's where we're at. Yeah. He was, he was never... I mean, he was he was just not alive when they got the DNA evidence, so he could never... He was never able to actually be charged with mm-hmm. that. And there's so much speculation. Like, everything I read was like, this person thought it was him, and this person thought it wasn't him. And so, who knows? Like, yeah. there's still even an argument that the DNA was not correct, which is a little ridiculous yeah. to me. I don't but... know how DNA can't be correct. Okay. So, DeSalvo was never convicted of murder, but he was sentenced to life imprisonment for rape. So, we are going to be talking about Albert DeSalvo today. He was born Albert Henry DeSalvo on September 3rd, 1931, making him a Virgo. 
our first Virgo of the season. Yeah. In Chelsea. Almost, it was almost his birthday. That this was good timing. Yeah, yeah. We should have waited yeah. until Saturday. <laughs> in Chelsea, Massachusetts. Two parents, Frank and Charlotte DeSalvo. He's one of six kids. It was really weird because you know how I'm having like a love-hate relationship with a big book of serial killers right now? Told me that he was one of five kids. And then everything else said one of six. So I'm like, you know what? Big book of serial killers, you're letting me down. Hmm. Week after week, you're letting me down. Whatever. So, Frank was an alcoholic and would regularly abuse his wife. When DeSalvo was seven, Frank knocked out Charlotte's teeth and broke her fingers one by one. Like, literally took them, mm-hmm. snapped like, them. Yeah, bent every them single all one. the way back until they snapped off. Ugh. He forced his children to watch him have sex with prostitutes and was in and out of prison for violence, sexual or otherwise. Salvo acted out by torturing animals, which we now know is a McDonald triad symptom. Mm-hmm. We haven't seen many of them, surprisingly. No. Frank once sold DeSalvo and two of his children to a farmer in Maine for $3 each. Charlotte spent months trying to find them. The children were to be slaves for the farmer. In today's money, that's around $150 total. I think it's crazy. Like, I didn't find anything. The return. I didn't know this information until I read your notes. Yeah, I didn't see it in your notes. I was surprised. Yeah, and I read so many things before I put it in my notes because I didn't see that you had it and you had so much that I was like, I wonder if this is even true. So I looked at another source and it was in it was in two sources that I looked at. So Yeah. I love surprising you with little little (laughs) little nuggies. Anywho, DeSalvo started his delinquency at a pretty young age. Frank taught his son to steal at age five, and DeSalvo had his first sexual encounters at age eight. It occurred with girls, women, and homosexual men who paid him at the age of eight. Eight years old. He began to develop an uncontrollable sex drive and insatiable sexual urges. He ran away more than once in order to avoid his father's violence. Frank would eventually abandon his family in 1931, and Charlotte would remarry in 1945. And didn't see anything else about a stepfather or what have you. Moving on to DeSalvo's teenage years, he was arrested many times before being sent to reform school for burglary at age 12. He would say that he came out of reform school, quote, worse than before, and that, quote, in reality, it was there that I learned every conceivable sexual perversion, end quote. Yeah. It's not a good school. No. But, I mean, we haven't really seen very good reform schools so far. Like, we had Like, what do you think is going to happen when you put a whole bunch of boys that are mini criminals into a building together they're gonna teach each other things yeah like it was like it was gaskins who literally was just raped and yeah essentially tortured in this reform school yeah when DeSalvo was released he went back to burglary but without being arrested 
He felt sexual arousal when he broke into people's homes, especially girls' bedrooms. His sexual appetite and abilities made him a popular teen. And he uh, said himself, so who knows if this is true or not, he spent the summer of 1948 at the beach and had numerous female partners who were students from Boston. Thus, he enters the army. On September 3rd, 1948, which was his 17th birthday. And I literally said, like, when I was, when I saw this information, I was like, wait, you can't enlist in the army until you're 18. But he lied about his age. Really? Mm-hmm. Figures. Yeah. <laughs> Overall, he was well-behaved. He liked being shown respect. DeSalvo took part in the army. A passion and talent for boxing. Yeah, they said he... Uh, so one of the documentaries I watched was um, his brother and just, like, a family friend of theirs um, talking about him. They said, like, he actually really liked being in the army. Like, yeah. that strict, like, he did well. He knew how to do his job well. He got a lot of attention. Yeah. And, like, it was just really suited for him. Mm-hmm. Of course, he got women's attention, too, which he enjoyed yeah because his insatiable sexual desires yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. in 1949 de was sent overseas to germany for five years he would offer his quote services of german officers he claimed to have been given jewels by these women in return this this may have been fabricated by de salvo trying to play the oh i'm so hot card you know yeah but when he was in germany he was still breaking into and robbing homes but when DeSalvo was 22 he met ermgard beck she was a beautiful brunette from a strict lutheran <laughs> family DeSalvo immediately lost interest in other women upon meeting beck he brought her back to the u.s and the two married in 1954 you know, this reminds me of the plot of you. <laughs> I didn't see it. It's like the creepy, the creepy show, right? man meet, meets the girl and her name is Beck and oh. he's just like all about her. Just <laughs> off of it. I don't know. <laughs> anyway. Does he strangle people? I mean, it's not very nice. No spoilers. Sure. I'll never watch it. <laughs> when he returned to the States, he was stationed in Fort Dix, New Jersey. Pretty close to home. Mm-hmm. Like our home. Yeah. <laughs> DeSalvo was very bored and spent his time driving around and breaking into homes again. Yeah, why not? Ah. In December 1954, DeSalvo, who was dressed in uniform, knocked on a door of a house. He claimed to have seen a prowler near her home. Scared, she let him... This is a woman. She let him in to make sure everything was okay. The woman became suspicious when DeSalvo asked when her husband would return... So she locked herself in her room and took down his plate number. The police interviewed DeSalvo, who claimed to have been walking around looking for a place to rent and wanted to help the woman. So this is where I don't know why they didn't get any red flags whatsoever. Yeah. Because she had a plate number, and he said that he was walking around. So, like, you lied. Hmm. What he, he was walking around, got in his car, and left? Like... It's like, how do we have a plate number if you've been walking around? 
Yeah. I mean, it's it's another one of those typical cases where there should have been a lot of red flags by now. Yeah. He was a troublemaker. He had been arrested a few times already. Like, yeah. You know. It's been breaking nothing, and entering. Nothing good comes out of this when you're, you know, 20, less than 25 years old and you're already a criminal. Right. It's not a good sign. It's, I mean, it's, it's a, a recurring theme with the people mm-hmm. that we research (laughs) on january 3rd 1955 a mother left her nine-year-old daughter and two sons home alone to run a few errands because that's normal back then maybe it was yeah the woman returned the nine-year-old explained that a man uniform who was looking for rooms for rent had fondled her so she called the new jersey police the police had remembered a soldier named DeSalvo who was looking for a room for rent I feel like DeSalvo just, it sounds like a very, like, army name. Yeah. Like, I can, like, picture that being on a uniform, like, in the front. Yeah. DeSalvo was taken to the police station, and the little girl identified him. He was accused of child molestation, but did not go to court, because the little girl's mother didn't want her daughter to be traumatized by a trial and withdrew her complaint. I mean, good parenting there. Yeah. Sarcasm. The same year, DeSalvo and Beck welcomed a daughter named Judy. She had a congenital pelvic malformation. Her physical handicap strongly impacted DeSalvo and Beck's life as a couple. Beck was scared that if they had another child, it too would be handicapped. So this resulted in her doing everything she could to avoid having sex with DeSalvo, who had an abnormally high <laughs> sex drive. <laughs> Great plan. Yeah. <laughs> That doesn't really work out because in 1960, skipping ahead a little bit, the couple had another baby, a son named Michael, who had no physical handicap. I, like, I didn't see that anywhere either. Really? Had no idea. You're welcome. So weird. <laughs> in 1956, DeSalvo left the army with a good service record. DeSalvo and Beck returned to DeSalvo's hometown of Chelsea, but later moved to Malden, uh, Mostyn, Mostyn. A Boston suburb. <laughs> a Boston suburb. Between 1956 and 1960, DeSalvo was arrested several times for breaking and entering. Each time he received only suspended sentences and never went to jail. Because we have Stopped no red flags. All of the, the stuff to come. Like, I just, I don't, yeah. I don't get it. <laughs> I don't either. Because this is, this is where we're going to go into... Your beautiful notes. <laughs> I'm just gonna read your bullet points here. Yeah, I don't. I don't outline like you. I know. <laughs> Takes dedication, Deb. <laughs> March 1960, he was arrested as the measuring man for entering women's houses, claiming he was a model scout and he would need to measure them to report it back to his agency. He would then fondle and rape them. He spent almost a year in jail. He would then be arrested again, this time known as the Green Man, because he would always wear green work clothes when he tied up and raped women. He had a lot of monikers. He did. A lot of monikers. Which is, is just, it just goes to show how, how much he didn't really have an M.O. Like, there was no specific way he did things. He just kind of, like... Mm-hmm. Like, he did the measuring thing for a while, and then yeah. he switched it up, and then, you know, there was no, there was no consistency. He just yeah. did what worked at the time. Yeah. So, he was arrested once, spent a year in jail, 
got out, got arrested again, and was released again in April 1962. Yes. It's like, it's very, like, why? Why are you releasing this man? Yeah, like, obviously, you know that he's been in and out of jail how many times? Right. He's not getting any better. No. The reform school made him worse. Jail made him worse. (laughs) Let's let him out. Let's just let him go. You know, we'll just catch him next time. (laughs) but would they Mm. dun 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 (laughs) he then began his next string of rapes this time he would also start murdering them his victims I want to know like what what, how that happened I didn't see anything that indicated like why he switched to 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 murder murdering yeah I don't know I'll carry away, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I feel like it, a lot of the time it has something to do with not wanting to be caught. Yeah, or like I wonder if like the first one was maybe an accident or something, yeah. and like and he was he like, just oh my really god, this liked was so it. great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so his murders would take place between June fourteenth, nineteen sixty two, and January fourth, nineteen sixty four. Like I said before, he murdered 13 single women between the ages of 19 and 85. For initially dubbed the Mad Strangler of Boston due to a 1962 article in the Sunday Herald. He was also known as the Phantom Fiend or the Phantom Strangler. More monikers. They were just in the in the 60s and they were just really all about naming people <laughs> that they couldn't catch, I guess. Yeah. It's like, what should we call this guy? I don't know. The yeah. Mad Strangler Boston. Let's no, how about the Phantom more- Strangler? <laughs> yeah. You know what? I like the Phantom thing, but I don't like the Strangler part. Phantom <laughs> Fiend. <laughs> and then someone was just like, oh, how about we just go a little more and call yeah. him the Boston Strangler? And they're like, okay. Because that ultimately stuck after a four-part yeah. series in the record American in 1963. The Salvo entered women's apartments claiming to be apartment maintenance a delivery man, a service man, which meant there was no forced entrance. The women just let him in. Yeah. Most of the women were sexually assaulted and strangled in their homes. There was also, um, it was called the, like, stocking strangler, because he used yeah. stockings a lot. Yeah. All the victims were raped, so objects. He would lay their bodies out naked like a picture was being taken. He would always strangle them, sometimes with their stockings, pillowcases, or his hands. He would leave the object tied around their necks in a bow. How beautiful. Mm. Like a little present for the cops. So so that ends up being one of the reasons why even though he would give like such conflicting information, mm-hmm. one of the reasons why they believed him because they did not release that to the public, the information about the bows, but he knew that. Mm-hmm. He gave it away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sometimes he would also stab them. <laughs> yeah. Even after media publicity, the attacks continued. Residents purchased and women were moving out of the area. There was a lot they said of the sales of locks skyrocketed. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like uh, Dennis Rader helping people mm-hmm. um, install security. security. <laughs> <laughs> it 
There's a lot of jurisdictional oversights because not all of the murders took place in Boston. Massachusetts Attorney General Edward W. Brooke was in charge of coordinating the police offices. Parapsychologist. So what's a parapsychologist? Um, I would guess it's just a psychologist who doesn't have a doctorate yet. Yeah. Like, you can work as a psychologist, but you are not at the level of being able to practice completely on your own, mm-hmm. was what I would think. Like a paralegal. Right. Hmm. Or so, a paraprofessional. Or a parakeet. <laughs> <laughs> that so not, not quite a keep, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I hate myself. <laughs> Parapsychologist Peter Herkos analyzed the cases and ultimately decided one person was responsible. But all the police force agreed. <laughs> police force. <laughs> and all the police agreed, and even with connections to victims and hospitals, they continued looking for multiple people, multiple MOs, different ages, races, ethnicities, etc. It all threw the police off. Yeah, apparently they just they did not know what or who to believe. Yeah. I, I read one thing, and it was only one, that said he was actually at some point um, diagnosed with um, schizophrenia. And I was like, that does, like, uh, I, I don't know about that. Yeah. Uh, so I like how in your notes, like, we're going to go over the victims pretty quickly. But I like how you have, like, their address. Well, there were so many different. Um... <laughs> no, but like you have it was every over. victim's like home address. It's, it's important information. Apparently. Yeah. So in June 1419, 1419, June 14th, 1962, this cracks me up. Anna Elsa. <laughs> Anna Elsa. I didn't even notice that. <laughs> you didn't? <laughs> oh. Anna Elsa Slazers? I don't know what that little. Yeah. Yeah, that little uh, accent over the. S's. I think it's slashers, but it's like, like, like slashers. I don't know. Yeah, it sounds very like. It sounds German. Oh, I was gonna Maine. say like Denmark, I but I Danish. Maybe because like isn't like, um, like Hans Christian Andersen, who you know. Anna, forget it. <laughs> Her name's Anna Elsa, and that cracks me up. She was 56. She sexually assaulted with an unknown object and strangled with the belt from her bathrobe in her third floor apartment at 77 Gainsborough Street, Fenway, Boston. <laughs> June 28th, Mary Mullen, who was 85, died from a heart attack in her apartment at 1435 Commonwealth Avenue in Boston. In his confession, DeSalvo said she collapsed as he grabbed her. So I feel like that's not really a murder. But is he was he telling the truth? Yeah, true. Two days later, on June was, 30th... Well, and, but look at the address. Same street. It's her, literally her neighbor. Well, no. Oh, no. Sorry. Unless, unless... I'm being unless, dyslexic. Unless you... No. Well, I mean, because it's 35 and 40, but it's... I think it was the same apartment building. Yeah, that... Well, what it? No, because the same apartment building would be the same address. Yeah, I guess. Down the yeah. street. Yeah, anyway. Anyway. 
Two days later, on June 30th, Nina Frances Nichols, who's 68, was sexually assaulted and strangled in her home at 1940 Commonwealth Ave, Boston. The very same day, Helen Elizabeth Blake, who was 65, was sexually assaulted and strangled with her nylon stockings in her home at 73 Newhall Street, Lynn, Massachusetts. So the same day, he's like Boston to... Mm-hmm. I wonder how far apart they are. It can't be that far. I mean, the same day. But, like, okay, so this is, like, 13 people in a span of a year and a half. And, like, the first one, two, three, four. So a third of them took place within two weeks of each other. Yeah. 19th, 1962, Ida Odes Erga, who's 74, sexually assaulted and strangled her apartment at 7 Grove Street, Beacon Hill, Boston. So I guess, like, is Beacon Hill is, like, a like a neighborhood, I want to say? Yeah. Mm-hmm. August 21st, 1962, Jane Buckley Sullivan, who was 67, sexually assaulted and strangled with her nylon stockings in her home at 435 Columbia Road, Dorchester, Boston. Why did they 435? <laughs> On December 5th, 1962, Sophie Clark, who was 20, was sexually assaulted and strangled with her nylon stockings in her apartment at 315 Huntington Ave, Fenway, Boston. Very redundant. Yeah. Sexually assaulted and strangled with her stockings. (laughs) Yeah, it says that for most of them, too. Like, I don't know, because there wasn't any, like, information on every single... Like, in in cases in the past, it's like we get detailed stories about each victim. Mm -hmm. But because they weren't sure the whole time, like, these cases were obviously reported, but they're, like, the information, I guess, wasn't matching up. So, like, by the time they were able to identify him and say, okay, we're pretty sure he was the person responsible for all these, like, I feel like the information just wasn't there on the everything about all of these victims so like it just i think it seems like they just got put in with his like oh we strangled them with stockings yeah like they didn't have like a whole lot of details no so december 31st 1962 patricia jane bullock Bassett, 22 third island stockings in her home at 515 park drive fenway boston March 6th, 1963, Marianne Brown, 69, she was raped, strangled, beaten in her apartment at 319 Park Street in Lawrence, Massachusetts. May 6, 1963, we have Beverly Sammons. <laughs> Simons. She was 26, she was stabbed to death in her home at 4 University Road in Cambridge, Massachusetts. So she was probably a student. Mm -hmm. September 8th, 1963. So we got like a big jump there. Mm -hmm. He was busy. (laughs) He was busy. (laughs) Marie Evelina Corbin was 58, raped and strangled with her stockings in her home at 224 Lafayette Street in Salem, Massachusetts. November 23rd, Joanne Marie Graff, 22, strangled with her stockings at 54 Essex Street in Lawrence, Massachusetts. And January 4th, night, Marianne Sullivan, 
who was 19. She was sexually assaulted and strangled with nylon stockings in her apartment at 44A Charles Street, Boston. Pretty much, it's all the same MO. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say that they're different. I don't think they're different either. I think he, he went in with the strategy of raping and strangling them. Mm-hmm. That's the same. Yeah. Um, but it just the ages to me and um, races and, you know, backgrounds and everything were just so different. Yeah. That they said that a lot of times they thought it was like a copycat thing and you know like it doesn't matter what age or race what a religion we get as long as we rape and strangle them they'll think it's him like so it was really just throwing them off yeah so moving on to his arrest and confession october 27 1964 DeSalvo attempted to enter home saying he was having car troubles. The homeowner was future Brockton, Massachusetts police chief Richard Sprouse. Became suspected a gun at DeSalvo. Later that day, DeSalvo entered a woman's home claiming to be a detective. He tied her to the bed, raped her, and suddenly got up. He apologized and left. Yeah, really weird. Mm-hmm. The woman described her attacker and police identified DeSalvo. His photo was released, and women women began to identify him as the man who had assaulted them. He was found and arrested under the thought of being responsible for another string of rapes, not the Boston Strangler rapes and murder. In fall of 1964, DeSalvo was sent to the Center for Treatment of Sexually Dangerous Persons at Bridgewater State Hospital. You should have sent him there years and years ago. Maybe right after reform school. Yeah. <laughs> Spring of 1965, DeSalvo confessed to all of his murders. At first, he confessed to another inmate, George Nassar, who was thought to originally have been the Boston Strangler, but then reported the confession to his attorney, Lee Bailey, who then defended DeSalvo. <laughs> Police were confused because the accuracy to detail DeSalvo was able to recite on least in public. So how is that confusing? Well, because so in some instances, apparently he would tell them things that they did not release to the public. But like the other bow things, thing. Like the bow thing. But other things there, they said like that he should have remembered. Oh, he yeah. got wrong. Like yeah. Vic, the, the next part. Names, mm-hmm. times of like times of the murders, like how he left the bodies and like for somebody who was taking such good not good care but like attention to the crime scene like how he wanted to pose the body Mm -hmm. leaving a little bow like all of that they assumed he should have remembered things like that right but when you're out raping and murdering women like do you really know their names like Uh, I don't know he I mean he knew enough about them to know they were all single like he only targeted single women Mm. Well, I don't know, but apparently it was enough to confuse everybody. <laughs> and like like you said, the George Nassar was originally the one that they thought was the Boston Strangler. Like he wasn't charged with it, but in jail everyone like thought it was him. They wondered if someone else in prison could have actually been the Boston Strangler and like DeSalvo just heard was able to tell 
police these details because he overheard other people talking about them. Mm-hmm. You know, like, oh, I knew that there was bows because he heard it from somebody that could have actually been the Boston Strangler in jail. Yeah. Like, it was just, it was very confusing, like, all of the little bits of information and how they just didn't really know what to believe. Yeah. So the medical professionals and psychiatrists evaluated him. Some believed he was just lying. Others believed he had multiple disease, But no one really knew what was going on. And he was placed in Bridgewater State Hospital. Wasn't that where he was? Or is that yeah, I'm there, like he like stayed there. Oh, okay. Yeah. So even with the confessions, there was no physical evidence to link the murders to DeSalvo. He was only charged for earlier unrelated crimes of robbery and sexual assault. He was known for other string of murders dubbed as and a measuring man. Yeah, so those were the charges that he was clearly identified because he didn't kill them. Mm-hmm. So those were the only rapes that he could have, like, they were able to charge him on. Like, that's why he was in jail. But they weren't murders. Right. Because you, you have strings of murders. Oh, sorry. Yeah, just rapes. Strings of rapes. Yes. February 1967, DeSavo and two other inmates escaped the hospital. There was a full-scale manhunt. He left a note to the superintendent stating he had escaped because of the conditions of the hospital and wanted to better himself. (laughs) DeSavo went into disguise by dressing as U.S. Navy E-4 officer. (laughs) So he's an army. Mm Mm-hmm. Disguising himself as a Navy man. Yeah. (laughs) Only one day after his escape, he turned himself in. He was then transferred into maximum security Walpole State Prison. 1960 was his trial. DeSalvo's mental state was again evaluated by Dr. Harry Kozel, a neurologist who had established the first sex offender treatment center in Massachusetts. Bailey tried to go with an insanity plea bargain but it did not withstand. That was his attorney. Mm-hmm. DeSalvo yeah. was sentenced F- to life. F. Lee Bailey. Yeah. DeSalvo was sentenced to life in prison in 1967 for the Green Man rapes. In 1968, Dr. Amos Roby, there's some names in this fucking mm-hmm. case, mm-hmm. that worked with DeSalvo at Bridgewater State Hospital insisted DeSalvo was not the Boston Strangler. Roby stated DeSalvo was too clever, compulsive, and loved attention, inconsistent with the Boston Strangler. Many others had the same opinion, even going as far as to say that they have heard others claiming to be responsible. Many important people had many different opinions. Yeah, it was like, obviously like that, like, medical professionals, psychologists, neurologists, like, then police, and like, everybody thought something different. Right. It's, except Bailey who believed DeSalvo was being truthful and was the killer. Six years later, on November 25th, 1973, DeSalvo was found stabbed to death prison infirmary for selling amphetamines. Gang member Robert Wilson was said to have killed him, but it was never confirmed. Supposedly, two weeks before his death, he wrote to a pen pal stating he was about to reveal the truth. He never got to do it, and no one ever knew what the truth was. So that's, like, why he was never actually able to be charged or tried for any of the murders because mm-hmm. he died before any evidence was actually found. Yeah. So 49 years later, in 2013, 
There was always doubts if DeSalvo was really the Boston Strangler. Many knew him did not think he was capable of such things because of the lack of consistency in MO and victim type. People were never certain. To solve the case, detectives were following Tim DeSalvo, the nephew of Albert DeSalvo. On July 11, 2013, Boston police announced DNA evidence was found that linked DeSalvo to the murder of Mary Sullivan. The DNA found at the scene was a near-certain match from DNA collected from Tim through a water bottle they found at a construction site where he worked. This prompted a court order to exhume DeSalvo once again to close. How do you get DNA 49 years after somebody dies? I don't know. Like, you'd have to take, like like bone fragments i or i'm pretty sure i would think that um so i only know this because of um it's not a he wasn't a serial killer he wasn't a murderer he was um a doctor that was um selling babies on the black market and telling the parents yeah, he worked at, like, an abortion clinic or something and was, and was having the patients come in and... But he wasn't aborting the babies. He was delivering them and then selling them on the black market. So, like, this doctor has, like, hundreds of kids out there and they exhumed him to get DNA and they took his big toe. Like, they cut his big toe off of his body and that's where the DNA came from. So, I want to say, I think it's the bone marrow. Yeah. That's crazy. So compl- completely unrelated. That is a great, a great story case. Whatever. If if anyone's interested, um, not there's no mur like you know murder. He's not a serial killer, but it's fascinating. <laughs> we can still talk about shit like that. Yeah, we, it's, we, it's, I remember, oh, like we don't have to is. do killers on killers and coffee. <laughs> <laughs> it's not Klein. Klein was the one that was the infertility doctor that got all these women pregnant with his sperm oh at a fertility God. clinic. So I they have I, a bunch That of, does sound familiar. Yeah. Uh, oh, Dr. Hicks in Georgia is the one that sold the babies on the black market. There's a whole, like, TLC documentary on it. It's fascinating. But, like, new relatives keep popping up, and they're like, it was crazy. Anyway, yes, I think they collect DNA... <laughs> From your bone marrow. Mm. Moving on. <laughs> a seminal fluid left on a maroon blanket that was used to cover Mary Sullivan's body was the only DNA evidence left at any of the murders. It had been saved for all those years in hopes DNA technology would catch up. On July 19th, 2013, police announced the DNA of DeSalvo was a match to seminal fluid left at the scene of Sullivan's murder. Elaine Sharp, a lawyer of the DeSalvo family, argues DeSalvo is not legitimately identified as the Boston Strangler because the DNA evidence from Tim DeSalvo was unlawfully obtained because he didn't know he was being followed. Sharp stated, quote, just because they had DNA evidence doesn't mean Albert DeSalvo killed her, end quote. <laughs> I just was reading this and in my head, I literally wrote this in, in quotations on my notes. I was like, yes, Elaine, that's exactly what it means. Like, how do you say? Yeah. That's how DNA works. Yeah, that's literally the um, definition of... Right, like, so I I think that it was him. Yeah. I think anything he said or didn't say 
didn't get right you know anything was just him trying to confuse police which it worked Mm -hmm. and you know he wasn't a showy type of person he didn't like the attention so there was no need for him to be overly um you know interested in sharing all of his murders and everything but i don't know at what point does a criminal say i've been in jail too many times like let's just like confess and stay in prison (laughs) right you know (laughs) i don't know well elaine if it barks like a dog right it's probably a dog yeah and dna (laughs) proves it's a dog so but that's all we have today folks Thank you, Devin, for your extensive research yeah. and my fucking procrastination, <laughs> my my busyness. I mean, that's definitely uh, you definitely carried the team here on this one. <laughs> I liked this one, and this is one of those cases where I obviously I know who, what the the story behind the right. Boston Strangler. Like you hear like who- you hear the Boston Strangler. Right, but like, it's not. There's nothing really, and and for being such a well-known case, there's not a lot of fascinating information. Like, you know, it's there's nothing that really stands out to me. Yeah. So I found that like, I didn't recall any of this information. Like, I knew that the Boston Strangler was a thing, but I really didn't know any of the details. So like, it was interesting to just kind of like learn it. Yeah. Um, and I always like the cases where this is horrible to say, but that go unsolved and that have something happen later on. Like we talked about this, um, I forget who it was, but that like in 2013, like that was only nine years Cleveland ago. Cleveland Torso murderer. Was it? Yeah, because he wasn't. Oh, that was cold. Well, not yeah. cold, but it was, but like it was, it was definitely the doctor, right? Right. But I like, I just wish I knew about this stuff then. in 2013. Yeah. Right. Like I, I was, I was sitting at home in 2013, like with a newborn. Yeah. Well, not newborn, but less than one year old. Like I. It was less than I, 10 years ago. Like, it's... yeah, like I would have been so aware of, mm-hmm. of what was happening. And it's cool to think about cases where, like, they don't know what happened or who did it. And then all of a sudden, like, you get an answer. And, like, we were adults and, like, aware of things like yeah. that when it happened. And, like, I feel like I just missed it. <laughs> <laughs> I missed the big reveal. <laughs> 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 the big reveal, the big finding. Yeah. Like, is there any? I want to see if there's like any cases that are still cold like that that they're tr- trying to figure out. I'm like, I'm just gonna watch the news every day and hope that I come across some big exciting thing that yeah. we've been waiting 50 years to find out. We got the Golden State Killer. I talk about it every week. I think <laughs> you do. <laughs> you do. You know that thing. <laughs> <laughs> But thing I'm gonna talk about again. Yeah. So we're gonna be hyper aware of our surroundings. Yeah. And I see. I don't really watch the news. Like I do. Cause I don't. I don't either. It, like. I don't either. It's just nothing exciting. 
like a string of murders. No. I mean, I feel like if something like that were happening anywhere near us, you don't have to watch the news to know. Right. Like, you would hear that from somebody you were talking to, like, in the store or something. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I do, Why did I just picture, okay. <laughs> you know, in The Nightmare Before Christmas, when yeah. the mayor gets in his little van with the, like, wind-up yeah. microphone and goes, Jack's missing. He's been yeah. blown to smithereens. Like, I just <laughs> yeah. picture that. Like, the police are coming through, like, the streets yeah. of, you know where we live and just being like there's a murderer on the loose <laughs> everybody lock your doors <laughs> like a uh what are those what are those like old-timey people called who like ring the bell for the news like you know um <laughs> corpse bride like there's that guy that's ringing the bell saying like it's been uh, so long since i've seen that i i actually so unpopular opinion I like The Corpse Bride better than Nightmare Before Christmas. I don't even, to be honest, I don't even think I finished The Corpse Bride. Oh my god. I think that's one of the only Tim Burton's that I did not really love enough to watch more than once or even finish. I loved it. Um, So, on another note, before, like, we finish up here, I just watched the fucking trailer for that Winnie the Pooh shit that's coming out. I can't. Can't Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. Like, I'm I'm enraged. (laughs) I can't. I can't. I'm enraged. It looks so one. Winnie the Pooh. It looks like a fake movie. Like, it looks like a college humor, like, trailer. And, like, it's supposed to be, like, Christopher Robin, like, abandons Pooh and Piglet in the Hundred Acre Wood, and they're, like, pissed about it, so they're gonna start killing everybody. It's just But, like, they look like, like adults, <laughs> like, Winnie the Pooh mask and a Piglet mask. Like, they don't, they're not, like, cartoonized or, like, humanoids. Like, it's just, it's just terrifying in itself. But it looks so fake. I have zero desire of seeing it. I hope no. it rots in hell. I hope whoever people are literally gonna have like nightmares. Like they're gonna be scarred for them. From there's their like childhood there's like the yeah. Stories. I've seen like mixed like mixed not reviews but like reactions to yeah. the movie coming out. Like why would you do that to Winnie the Pooh? Blah blah blah. Yeah. But like they did it to clowns with fucking Pennywise and. But I think that's so different. Like taking something that like is kind of creepy is a phobia already have fears of and yeah. making it even creepier is one thing. But like taking sweet little Winnie the Pooh <laughs> and turning him evil is just not okay. It's Especially very Stephen King. Right. Like and even <laughs> clowns. Like clowns aren't typically something that babies are like comforted by. Like Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> like imagine a little baby with like a Winnie the Pooh nursery and like piglet stuffed animals. Like that's a comforting thing to babies. It's like making like, it's, a it's, horror movie about Elmo like being a serial. Well, but, I mean not I could see that. Because mm. Elmo's creepy. <laughs> to me it's it's like turning like little kittens into Little kittens, little kittens into like live people with like Cujo faces. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. It's weird. There's a murderous bunny rabbit on the loose. Like, (laughs) it's just weird. So, director, writer, producers of Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, go fuck yourselves. There you go. 
Don't quote me on that because I'm not trying to get sued <laughs> or anything like that. But so, okay, let's finish this up before I get mad. <laughs> My information today I got from a book called Albert DeSalvo, The Boston Strangler by David White. The serial killer books, 15 famous serial killers, true crime stories that shock the world by Jack Rosewood and uh, the Boston Stranglers chapter four. So Jack Rosewood is, he's a big, like he's a big true crime author. And so is David White. There's like a lot of, every time I'm looking for literature research, it's 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 always like Jack Rosewood or David White and like mm-hmm. one other person. Like Jack Rosewood is a is the author of the Big Book of Serial Killers. So how accurate can that book be? Let's be real here, Jack Rosewood, because you've been letting me down lately. <laughs> but what do you got? Um, as usual, Wikipedia, Britannica. Dot com, historydaily.com, ABC News, and Fox News, and um, the documentary Catching the Boston Strangler, Albert Salvo, which was the best one, obviously. By that did actually come the- up on my Amazon when I looked yeah. for uh, books. Yeah, there was an. I watched another one too, but I didn't get any information from there that I didn't already have, so I didn't. I don't remember what it's called. I didn't cite it because I didn't use it for anything. Um, but a lot of the information was in the Catching the Boston Triangular, like, so it was a good one. But that's it. That is all. Everybody, if you have not already, please, go Killers and Coffee on Facebook and Twitter. I, I, uh, I really don't post much. I should, you know, I should be thinking about this, making an Instagram account, like, posting pictures of these people and shit, but... I think we talked about that when we did the toy box. Yeah. But I don't know, maybe we'll see. But in the meantime, come for the coffee. Stay for crime. Adios. Bye. Bye.